Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-host, Mickey Turner. This is the other voice that you hear. Tim Foss. Of course, Ari Lillian Wall. This has been an extremely weird podcast. Getting dragged all day. So the bottom line is they, they don't have an answer to that. There's a reason they got signed to first team contracts. And if you're not going to give them respect for that, then have fun losing again next Very year. special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of the Seattle Sounders. You know who he is. Brian how are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. Joining me today is Tim Foss, Mickey Turner, and Beth Mantle. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. Better than I'm not going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, better than you might say the LAFC attack going at Nuhu, uh, who I just let's just start there. I don't know that I've ever heard Brian Spencer be quite that blunt in talking about anything, uh, let alone kind of like in the way that he did. And his quote was. Something to the effect, of, I guess I, I should I should just read it. Um, it was, he was talking about Nuhu, and, uh, oh man, I've totally lost it now. I have it. Oh yeah, here we go. Okay. The vertical play by LAFC going against Nuhu is a dead end. Team should stop doing that because it's not going to happen. Um, yeah, that's like, and I think it's pretty accurate. I, I went back and kind of looked at the chalkboard. And the little zone where you would expect Nuhu to be playing, pretty much a dead zone. Like, nothing going on there. No, nothing coming in, nothing coming out. <laughs> uh, he, has, he has been absolutely spectacular. And I, and I don't know that there was a better illustration of it than the LAFC game where they just had absolutely nothing in that, like, right wing area. Nuhu has just been so, so good and such a joy to watch play in that left-sided center back role. I think, I mean, I know you had mentioned it in the past, Jeremiah, but the, the things that Nuhu is an elite player at, where it is, you know, shielding a ball out, which if it happens in the corner or on the sideline is just sort of like, okay, cool. He did a thing. And sometimes it looks a little goofy when he shields a guy off for like 20 yards and it just is going to be, it's just going to be a throw in. But when he does it as a center back, it's like, oh, he just completely blew up an attacking opportunity where if that guy gets around him, it's potentially like a one-on-one with the keeper, but instead he, you know, boxes a guy out for 20 20 plus yards and then it's an easy pickup for the keeper or it goes out for a goal kick and like he just has such a remarkable ability to completely diffuse attacking movements yeah it's 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 an amazing ability and it's it's gotten so good that I think we're kind of running out of superlatives for it. But one of the things that I, I don't think I've said this one yet, but 
he's been so good that almost by himself he justifies the Sounders playing in a three in a three back uh, formation because he's his skill set is just so perfectly aligned with that kind of back line that it's hard to um, imagine the Sounders being on net better by moving him to left back or certainly with him being off the field. Uh, he, he, you know, and it, and it does create some, you know, problems down the line, I suppose, uh, potentially for like how the, the Sounders want to play. Like, I suppose if, if, you know, next year when Jordan Morris is back, uh, they have to kind of figure out if, if he fits as one of the two, or maybe he fits as in a three, four, three, but then you lose your wing backs. So there's like, nuance in that but as the team is right now it's hard to get away from the idea that the Sounders are so much better with him on the field as a left center back and it's it's not so unlike a shutdown corner in football where he's so good that he essentially eliminates part of the field for the opposition and then that in turn makes the rest of the defending so much easier yeah and the other thing I've been somewhat impressed with is his kind of passing from that position um he's less he's less asked to go forward and provide the killer cross but now he's uh sending the 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 pass before the cross and it's getting people open he's kind of directing uh from that position you know a couple of times he was directing brad smith to start making runs so he can get him the ball um and then we obviously remember the uh the pass he had to madranda which led to the goal um, earlier this year and so yeah that's been kind of a pleasant surprise and maybe that's something that we have underestimated in his game and a better use of his tools to let him lie back a little bit more just basically shut down that third of the field and then ask him to make some kind of deep deep line passes uh, which makes better use of his skill set so yeah it's been just a really joy to watch him uh, you know kind of develop in this role and he's taken to it obviously very quickly um, and you're right, it probably, they do have some questions to answer when Morris comes back, but for this year, um, you know, they don't need to worry about that, obviously, unfortunately, but, uh, it's going to be great to see him kind of develop in this role, uh, uh, throughout the rest of, of the season. One of the, the other, I guess the shorter term problems is it does, I think, impact their approach to the summer transfer, the summer transfer window. Uh, and I guess potentially even before then, um, you know, I was just talking to or there was a, a story that came out about how uh, the New York Red Bulls, how they can deal with Aaron Long's uh, departure. And it reminded me that the Sounders also have a, you know, a decision to make about their injury reserve spot, which theoretically they can collect essentially $250,000 of cap space to reallocate to a, a new signing. But they would have to do that in the next two weeks. And I don't know, you know, I, I suppose they can sign like A.B. Sissoko from to Tacoma Defiance, but I don't think that's the kind of player that you target with that sum of money. Um, and, and so I, I, I just wonder if it changes the way the Sounders are looking about how to do a roster build, because I would have thought that at the beginning of the season, the, the obvious target for another impact player is a winger opposite Jordan Morris or a winger who in the short term can spell Jordan Morris. But I don't know if that's necessarily where they're going to want to go if they aren't going to be playing with wingers. Yeah, definitely from 
at least from the sort of outside perspective, makes all of that much more difficult. Um, I, like you, was positive that any big signings were going to happen on the wings and maybe, you know, a winger who could also potentially fill in as a high upside forward or something, which then you bring in Freddie Montero and that's much less necessary. I think any, I mean, not any, but signings that they make this summer are going to be with much more of an eye towards the future. So maybe if they do make a signing like that, they can do it looking a little bit farther forward. And maybe that person doesn't come in during this season. Maybe they make that signing with an eye towards that person joining, you know, when a contract ends a year from now or something. Um, I think there's a possibility that it, it does give them a little bit more room and possibly the ability to, spend a little bit more in that acquisition but yeah I really have no idea if they were going to make a signing that was going to be an impact player this year like I have no idea what position you target with that yeah Um, I would probably go defensive midfield I think they've shown uh, based on the injury situation um, or just you know kind of in the midfield generally uh, you know Ladero's obviously been out and you know they say he's coming back um, in the fitness, but who knows if that could be a lingering concern for the rest of the year. Obviously, you're not replacing Ladero per se um, uh, with his production and his price tag. Um, but Jordi Delem now out for the year. Um, Atencio's obviously had some injuries. So I think there's a question to ask if that's probably something that they need to shore up uh, going forward. And that money, that 200, uh, 250, I think you said. Um, 200 to 250, that's going to get you a serviceable MLS player for this year. Um, and that, so that may be somewhere to think about going, but that's only in the case that at Tensio you have some concerns about because obviously Leib has been able to come in and do a pretty good job uh, thus far. So maybe you just rely on the kids uh, to, to kind of hold that down. But it's kind of, a, it's an interesting question to ask what they do with that, with that slot. So one of the other things I wanted to talk about on the defensive side, and this is maybe something Beth can, can weigh in on, is uh, Javi Ariaga, of course, scored his first goal of his Sounders career. I thought he was really good in the middle. You know, he, he again, does that thing where he gets you a little bit worried with his dribbling. But ultimately, I think, for the most part, he was, his dribbling was good. He was able to relieve some pressure. But his big moment obviously came on that goal, and it was a well-taken goal. It wasn't like some cheapy goal. He he hit a nice uh, flicked header onto the inside the far post. What's going through your mind, Beth, as as kind of the uh, the Javi Hive stan? Of yeah, our- as the as the president of the Javi Hive, I am so excited and so happy that he scored a goal. Um, it was funny because uh, right before he scored, I was watching with my family, and I turned to my brother-in-law, and I was like imagine what would would happen if Javi scored and he was like I can't imagine it there's no way I can imagine that and then he like put the ball in the back of the net like immediately afterwards and I was like can you imagine it now um so that was just it was really fun I was really happy to see um maybe now everyone can stop using him as their scapegoat um and appreciate his a bit chaotic defending but very good at at it I feel like you might as well have a bit of fun 
I think yeah. he, he looks like he's having a great time. So am I. It doesn't, and his his ex, his exuberance, his explosion of joy after scoring that goal by itself kind of made it all worthwhile. Uh, you could tell that it was something that he was, you know, wanting to see happen, and he deserved it. I thought he was very good in the game. It'll be, you know, and I think uh, personally, I was just really satisfied to see that form that three back formation finally get a, a proper run out. I know uh, Mickey and Tim and everyone in Sounder Heart seemingly has been wanting to see that exact uh, formation. And it was probably their best defensive performance of the season. I, I don't think we can overlook that, you know, and you can kind of go through a, a bunch of different numbers and, and look at it that way. The one that jumps out to me is that uh, LAFC had 0.5 XG in the game. That's the, the lowest XG that, uh, the Sounders have allowed all year. Uh, they really didn't. There was one play kind of early on where Corey Baird slipped behind the defense and uh, Mark Anthony K hit him with a nice pass. But uh, Jamar was there to kind of trouble him and Steph Cleveland made the save relatively easily. But other than that, I don't know that there was really much danger at all. Yeah, they, they played uh, very well. And, that you know, I have uh, was able to go back and rewatch the game and yeah, LAFC, you know, kind of dominated from a possession standpoint in the first half. Uh, and they, their, the press uh, was effective. It typically is effective against the Sounders um, and, you know, forces them to, to, to make some changes. But with all of that possession, they only had the really one good chance from Baird. Um, uh, and, you know, I think Ottawa uh, had a shot from distance that was right at uh, uh, Cleveland. So that wasn't really necessarily a, a chance you would expect to go in um and so yeah it's been really nice to see it was nice to see that run out as you said uh with that you know back five uh defensive line really didn't allow lafc to do much of anything with the position that they got which you know kind of bodes well because not many other teams in the league can do what lafc does uh as effectively uh so you, you would expect uh that you know any teams that try to do that aren't going to have much more luck than LAFC did ultimately. And, you know, kind of obviously explains this, to this point why they haven't given up any goals from the run of play. Yeah. They've given up two goals all year. Both of them are off direct free kicks. And I, and it's not like there's been some sort of defensive breakdown. You can obviously take fault with the fouls that they gave up that, that led to those, but those are, those are going to happen. Uh, but you know, one of them was a pretty fluky free kick. The other one was just a really well taken free kick that was around a, maybe poorly constructed wall, uh, but they, they keep piling up. They got four shutouts in six games. Uh, the last one belongs to Steph Cleveland, who hadn't made a start in uh, MLS since 2019, and he'd only made one competitive appearance since the end of 2019. Uh, he hadn't played in MLS since 2018, and he hadn't made, he'd only made one competitive appearance uh, in, at any level since 2019. And that was like a week ago for Tacoma Defiance. So this is a player who had not been getting a lot of action. And, you know, there was some nervy moments. He had one play early on where it looked like he almost passed it to himself, which would have been a, a big uh, mistake, obviously. But other than that, you know, he, he came out and took corners. You know, he, he grabbed corners when he needed to. He, you know, he didn't leave any bad rebounds. You know, I don't think you could say that he – looked exactly like Steph Fry in the way that he commanded the box, but you know, he was fine. Um, I don't know. Anyone have any big Steph Cleveland takes? I, you know, I, 
was really interested to watch. I think it is, it's so beneficial to a player like him who doesn't get competitive games very often because he's backing up a guy who hardly ever misses for him to one train with a goalkeeper coach who is widely considered to be one of the best in the league, but also when you train as a goalkeeper with the Sounders, you are training like in practice, trying to keep some of the best attacking players in the league from scoring on you. Yeah. Um, and so I think he impressed in terms of, you know, the basic job of a goalkeeper, keeping the ball outside of the net. Uh, but I thought his distribution was also really good. He had like 94% passing and it wasn't just short stuff to the center backs. I think his, the way he hits the ball on those longer passes and clearances is really nice. He hits like a super flat ball that is much more difficult for defenders to set up underneath um, that seemed like he was hitting them in a way that made it pretty easy for, you know, Will Bruin to handle when they came onto him. Um, he was really impressive. And, you know, I think one of the things that he did really well was I want to say it was around the 20, 25 minute mark. The Sounders stopped trying to play through the, I mean, they didn't completely stop, but they, they made, clearly made a decision that they weren't going to just, just try to play through the press. And they were having a lot of trouble playing through the press up to that point. And I want to say at least for the rest, most of the rest of the, the first half, uh, Cleveland was just hitting it long and that seemed to really help relieve the pressure. And it's something that Stefan Fry has talked a lot about recently uh, is understanding when to go long and when to play short. And, you know, just because you, you maybe beat the press once or twice, if you just narrowly escape it, you're kind of, you know, playing with fire a little bit. And the upside isn't always, you know, the, the squeeze isn't always, or the juice isn't always worth the squeeze as they say. And, I think the Sounders are showing a lot of, uh, you know, a, a lot of maturity in not forcing the game and, and playing long and willing to, you know, not necessarily earn style points by letting Will Bruin battle guys at the, at the midfield. Yeah, I think, Jeremiah, you and I talked about that during the game, um, right as that was happening. And we just noticed that they were just not able to really play through the press. And then, as you said, they kind of, switch things up and Schmetzer talked about that after the game in the post game presser saying that he was impressed with his decision making mm -hmm. uh, noticing that they were having that kind of trouble and deciding to go along and you've got someone up top and Will Bruin who's good at you know winning headers and holding up the ball and drawing fouls so there's nothing wrong with that um, even if you don't stick to that uh, policy for the entire game at least you are switching things up giving the defense something to think about and it's possible you get something from one of those long, uh, long, long balls. Um, and you've got the players up top who can, you know, kind of convert off of those uh, when Bruin does win the ball. So, uh, yeah, I, it was definitely did not go unnoticed, uh, clearly. And uh, it was good to see they kind of got, uh, they kind of have another, a plan B uh, in their arsenal and are not just sticking with, you know, playing out of the back. Because as you said, it, it can look pretty at times, but if you, you know, miss on one of them, it's going to, turn into a bad time yeah that's it's something that i've been thinking about a lot recently uh as you know you can see looking at the 
the way the team plays and the talent that they have, ideally they want to play that possession style and build out of the back and work intricate passing sequences that include the midfielders, just it plays to everybody's strengths, but they also have a whole bunch of guys who can play a more direct style that I think you could see just watching the game, looking at like the passing maps for different players, like the center backs, you know, Jamar's passing wasn't super great, but Nuhu and Javi both put up pretty good numbers and almost all of the passes that they missed on were longer passes where the, you know, if the team lost possession, they didn't lose it in a dangerous spot. It wasn't in a way that made it easy for LAFC to counter quickly. Um, they, they really, I think, adjusted quickly to, you know, still trying to make short passes when they were on, but recognizing that by and large, the best path forward was to skip the midfield, try to avoid that press. And I think some of the intentionality of that gets lost when you just look at, oh, LAFC had the better possession and Seattle's passing percentage wasn't very good. But a, like a lot of that was intentional and not just in a bunker and counter approach. Um, I think that was just something that really stood out with how much of the conversation from sort of like national perspectives was about LAFC outplaying the Sounders and the Sounders still getting a result. And it was like, well, no, they like, they had possession and that is basically the extent of it. And they had a press that worked, but by and large, Seattle just avoided it by negating those areas of the field. It is interesting that in this, you know, in 2021, that so much of the punditry gets focused on like possession percentage and not necessarily on what teams are doing with that percentage or that, that possession, especially, uh, you know, and I guess you can kind of be forgiven for saying like, well, it wasn't just the game state that was leading to LAFC having possession, but it, it was somewhat purposeful. I don't, I don't think the Sounders were necessarily trying to hold on to the ball forever. You know, they're, they're not trying to give it away super quickly either, but um, I did think it was notable that both the Sounders' goals kind of came through defensive play. Uh, the, the first goal, uh, if you go, if you rewind it all the way back to where that possession basically started, uh, Will Bruin and Jao Paulo are applying kind of counter or essentially counter pressing uh, a, a missed pass by the Sounders. And so the ball's deep in LAFC's end. They end up creating a turnover, draw a foul. The ensuing free kick goes out for a corner. The corner ends up getting scored. Uh, so, you know, I think you, you got to give a lot of the credit on that one to the counter press. And then on the second goal, it was a really wonderfully taken goal, but it was kind of like a clinical counterattack where Danny Leva uh, creates a turnover. He pushes it forward to Christian Roldan. He, he sends it out to Alex Roldan, who makes a couple of really great moves. And then it gets it into the attacking phase of the, of the play where, you know, Rui Diaz finds Roldan. And one of the things I loved about that play is Alex Roldan is – raising his hand, basically calling for the ball on the wing. Uh, his brother, Christian, is obviously ne- is, is next to him, also calling for the ball. But I love that, that Alex has that confidence, that he's calling for the ball there. Uh, Raul Ruiz Diaz basically just goes to the penalty spot, st- uh, stakes out there. Will Bruin takes the, 
the near post run. And then Brad Smith just kind of coasts in and finds himself basically up against Latif Blessing, which, you know, like on a, on a play like that is, is not uh, exactly the, the best defender that I think LAFC wants on that play. But he had, he had to step on him anyway. And, and he heads it in. Uh, Brad Smith, three goals in six games. He, I think, had one professional goal up until this season. Uh, I remember early in the, in the preseason, I was joking to Mickey about how awful uh, Brad Smith looks whenever he gets around goal, compared, especially when you compare it to how good he looks generally in the attacking phase. And all of a sudden, he's like the Sounders' most polished finisher. I don't know what to make of it, but I love it. I'm choosing to believe that was a joke about him having a shaved head. It is a polished finisher. He does lead the league in headed goals. So maybe it's something about he looks like a cue ball now. And the whole point of the cue ball is to put other balls into the pocket. Um, I love this analogy. Keep going. Yeah. I think that's about as far as I can take it. Uh, But it's been, it's been fun and definitely surprising to watch that play was great from start to finish i think it was you know a couple of good moments in a another solid danny leva appearance i think he missed one pass in the entire game and it was in his whole 22 minutes or whatever plus stoppage time he missed a single pass that was like at the top of the penalty area uh he had i think two interceptions and two recoveries and one of those recoveries was the him picking up the ball on that play taking like one touch and then burning a pass into Christian Roldan who has the technical ability to control that and they just go from there and it's so much fun to watch them just immediately pick apart LAFC Daniel, I'm looking at his stats right now, and you're right. He was seven for eight passing. But the thing that stands out to me is he had 14 pressures in 23 minutes. Uh, just to put that in perspective, uh, Christian Roldan, who is not a not a shy defender uh, by any stretch of the imagination, had 12 in 90 minutes. Uh, obviously, they're playing different positions, but it, it, it does speak to how active Danny Leva was in that game. And I think it was in some ways a more encouraging performance than his start against San Jose uh, at midweek, because he was, I I think he was kind of able to play within himself a little bit more. He wasn't asked to do much. Um, And it was, you know, it was, it was an encouraging performance. And I, and I think the Sounders suddenly have uh, some depth in the center of the, of the midfield that I, I don't know that we saw uh, or we knew we didn't really know what to expect. I think at the start of the season, but you know, assuming Josh Atencio comes back relatively soon, Danny Leva is going to be pushing for minutes. Uh, even with the loss of Jordy Delham, I don't, I don't know that there's like much cause for concern in that part of the the field. Nico Ladero is going to be coming back. Jao uh, Paulo has been absolutely spectacular. I think uh, you know we've we've talked about Christian Roldan as a as you know an advanced midfielder this year. Um, but we can get into that a little bit. Uh, Christian Roldan did not have a classic number 10 kind of game. He hasn't had a whole lot of classic number 10 games. But Mickey, you were you were pointing out some of the stuff that you really liked uh, that you saw from Christian this week. Yeah, he was 
you know, he just, he does a little bit of everything. And I think we've all known that for, you know, essentially since he came into the league, uh, you know, he spent time at left back in uh, 2015 in his first year. Um, and then they kind of moved him around. Um, they had Ozzy. So uh, he never really got established in the midfield. Uh, um, and then, you know, he's done his, a lot of stuff on the wing. And then this year, uh, you know, playing a little bit more advanced uh, has just given them um, you know, a high work rate. Uh, his passing has always been a very solid and, uh, you know, his, his, he's not, you know, technically gifted on the ball, but he's tenacious on the ball. And so he's able to keep it and, you know, beat his uh, defenders in one-on-one battles and make a lot of runs to the end line and get crosses in. Um, and so that's been, you know, something that's been great to see from him. And yeah, he's just been really just a fantastic, uh, you know, a player this year uh, doing a little bit of everything. And it'll be interesting to see what they do uh, with him when uh, Ladero comes back. Presumably, they'll send him uh, back to pair with uh, Jao Paulo. But uh, he can certainly play pretty much anywhere um, along, uh, you know, in that middle band. Um, and, you know, as a wing bat at, back, I suppose, if they needed him to. Um, so uh, it, it'll be nice. It'll be a good problem to have. And, uh, you know, hopefully... Uh, they'll be able to do he'll be able to do what he's doing now uh, from wherever they put him. And I'm sure he will be able to. It, it has been really uh, neat to see him grow into this role. It does seem to be a, he's another player who seems to be particularly well suited for the role that he's been assigned in this one. Uh, you know, it, and it'll, it'll be interesting to see how the Sounders play with a more of a classic number 10 like Nico Ladero, who I say more of a classic 10. He's not he isn't really a classic 10 in that he still moves around a lot. He, he goes and finds the game. He doesn't wait for it to find him. He covers a ton of ground. So I, I think in a lot of ways he's well suited to, to fit into this, but it would be interesting to see if the Sounders end up trying to go with something that's more like a three, four, two, one uh, where Roldan and Ladero are essentially dual attacking midfielders, maybe sitting underneath a, uh, Raul Ruiz Diaz or, or Will Bruin, depending on the, the situation. But um, the, the thing that's interesting is like the Sounders are, are going into this final two games before the Gold Cup break. They're 5-0-1, and there's every reason to think that they should get to 7-0-1. Uh, and it, if they don't, it'll, it'll be kind of a disappointment. I mean, they got Atlanta this week. They have Austin the week after that. They're going to be playing against Atlanta in front of uh, – like a proper supporters group for the first time this season. The energy should be high. They're coming off full rest. Uh, Atlanta and Austin have 14 points between them combined. The Sounders are on 16 points. I think that sort of illustrates, you know, their relative places in the standings. Uh, but these are games the Sounders should win, and they're games that they should be able to go into, uh, go into the break feeling really good about themselves. And even if they are missing Rui Diaz or potentially, you know, Javier Arriaga and, and maybe a couple other guys uh, on the other end of this break, there's no reason that they shouldn't be in a position to keep getting results. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think I, I told, I talked to you, Jeremiah, about Atlanta and they just looked decidedly mediocre this year. Yeah. Um, and they were coming off a, a pretty terrible year for them last year. Uh, COVID, you know, accepted. Uh, they didn't make the playoffs. They didn't have Martinez. Clearly, that was uh, something that damaged them. But they're kind of running into the same issue that LAFC is now running into, where they're running out of the expansion money. Um, and typically teams, uh, at least in recent times when that happens, 
uh, tend to struggle because you start to have to start offloading some players. Um, and that's what Atlanta had to do. That's what LAFC had to do with Walker Zimmerman, uh, sending him off to Nashville. Um, and so I think, you know, they've taken a little bit of a step back uh, from their lofty heights. I mean, they did get an MLS cup out of it. So there's uh, yeah. something to be said for that. But this version of Atlanta is just not particularly dynamic. Uh, you know, even if Martinez gets back to what he previously was, they don't have an Almarone or anything approaching that. Barco's, you know, a fine player, but doesn't do what Almarone did. And so, yeah, you have to think that they go into this game uh, full of confidence and they should, as you say, get results in these next two games. Austin is an expansion side and yeah, they've gotten a couple of road results, uh, but they've been kind of ones they've nicked. Uh, uh, and so, yeah, you got to think that they, they're looking to get those six points and then, you know, they can kind of reassess where they are uh, going into the break. Uh, you know, the transfer window is about to close, but it opens again in a, in a month and they're going to be off for two weeks of that. So you get these two games, you're sitting on 22. You've probably got at that point, uh, what, a seven or eight uh, point lead in the Supporters' Shield standings, depending on what happens uh, elsewhere, uh, yeah. which is just insane to think about after uh, what would be seven, seven, eight games. Uh, yeah, so, you know, if they, you know, they got to be thinking, yeah, let's get these two games and we're really cooking with gas at that point. It, and it is, uh, you know, you, you, you look at Atlanta and I don't know if any of you read the, the, athletic piece about them which was really interesting i thought it was a an interesting look at you know kind of like a alternate universe of the sounders where if the sounders hadn't kind of come into this where they were really intent on building a culture and kind of seeing that through and you know whatever the the failings of the siggy schmidt era i think you can we can all agree that he he laid a really amazing foundation. You know, they obviously won some trophies. They won a bunch of trophies during his time here. They had some, they had a ton of success, but you know, they didn't have the playoff success that, and that all of us wanted to see. But in some ways, I wonder if that wasn't ultimately for the better because it, it allowed them to build this foundation and allowed, you know, I think it allowed the fan base to better appreciate what it was when, when we finally got that uh, first MLS cup in 2016. And I, and I was kind of wondering this at the time when Atlanta, one in their second year, if it was almost too much too soon, where, where do you go from there after you win MLS cup in your second year? I mean, you can always say like, okay, well now we got to win a supporter shield, but man, they were coming off a 70 point season that year. Uh, you know, and, 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 you know, they, they followed that up where they won the uh, CONCACAF champions cup or no, the Campionis cup. And they won the U S open cup too this the second year. And that was seen as a massive disappointment. And they got, even though they got to the Eastern Conference Finals, and, and in a lot of ways, they, they probably should have been hosting MLS Cup the year that the Sounders ended up winning their second. Uh, but that ended up laying the groundwork for a, just an utter collapse last season. And, and it seems to have kind of continued this year. And it, and it looks like there's a lot of dysfunction in the organization. Uh, and I don't know. I, don't, I, I do oftentimes wonder if it was just like too much success too soon and without really knowing how to handle it. If that kind of ended up leading to their downfall a little bit. I, I don't know how much of it was that it was too much too soon. Although maybe that factors into this, but it seemed like they had that success and then didn't really know how they'd gotten it. I think they, 
assumed or believed that this culture that had been instilled under Tata Martino was like the club's culture and their identity. And even if he moves on, we'll be okay. But they've really, since the big signings that they made when they launched and shortly after, since Martino left, the signings that they've brought in have consistently missed the mark pretty badly. The guys that they've had to let go when they've replaced, you know, Leandro Gonzalez Perez has, I mean, I don't know that he was the greatest center back when he was there, but he left and the replacements have just not been good enough. The Almiron replacement was certainly has consistently not been good enough. Barco has shown flashes. Um, Pity Martinez was highly touted coming in, having won South American player of the year and then never looked good enough to lead an MLS team to any kind of silverware. Uh, Marcelino Moreno is their most recent high profile signing and he's gotten plaudits from some coaches, but I think they just are such a mess and it's notable the, the sort of reaches and different directions they've made since Martino left that they don't have a vision of what they want the team to be. They want the team to be a loud 40,000 person stadium with lots of flash and attention, but they clearly don't really know what any of that means or what propels that to actual on-field success. Yeah, I think it, it would be foolish for them to have assumed that you could continue a club culture after two years, uh, thinking that that was enough of a foundation to work with and be able to move on from the people that were making that culture possible. Like two years is not that long. Like that's that's half of your high school experience. And I don't think two years of high school was very important for anyone in the grand scheme of things. No, I, I think that's, that's, I think a, a very good analogy. Uh, and, and you think about what the Sounders would have looked like if after 2010, Siggy Schmidt had left and they had replaced him with, you know, uh, I'm trying to think who, who the equivalent to Frank DeBoer would have been in 2010, but, you know, some sort of kind of retread European coach who, frankly, didn't have any idea of what success in MLS looks like. And you can question Frank DeBoer's, you know, uh, track record up to his getting hired by Atlanta. But even if he had a great track record, you know, he was being asked to build on something that he had nothing to do with and that he had no connection to. And, and it seems like Atlanta convinced themselves that they could, you know, that, that the culture was being uh, really from the top down or and and it clearly wasn't uh, that it was you know that it would that it was somehow above Tata Martino, but um, I don't know we maybe we don't need to spend too much time talking about Atlanta, uh, which we'll probably do later in the week anyway. But um, yeah, I mean I, I think this is this this start has been about as good as the Sounders could have possibly hoped. I was I was saying the Sounders probably would have been happy with ten points at this point in the season, uh, and they're at sixteen, and they're looking at you know, uh, a very real possibility of getting to 22 before the break, uh, that would put them in, in great position. 
uh, I don't know. Do you, does anyone have any, any growing concerns? Is there something that you, you're looking for that uh, maybe has you a little bit more worried than, than we're giving off right now? I think the funny thing for me, and I saw you tweet earlier today that, you know, this start is incredible. They probably, like, they can't maintain this. But then I was thinking, and I was like, well, they're not, I mean, they're not going to because it's MLS. They're not going to get 100 points? <laughs> probably not. It's MLS and just, like, the league's whole brand is crazy stuff happens. But I also, like... I don't see this team getting worse. They will eventually get Nico Ladero back, even if they spend some time without, you know, if they're missing Christian Roldan and Javi and Raul for a stretch this summer, because they're all with their national teams. Like, especially if Christian being gone coincides with Nico coming back, I am not like, they're pretty well set up to weather those absences I feel like the defensive performances can continue because it's not like they're just getting lucky and teams are missing chances. They're not giving up good chances to teams. And if you have three strikers who all have the track records that Rui Diaz, Bruin and Montero have, like sure they can all be streaky at times, but the likelihood that all three of them are going to go through a dry spell at the same time is pretty low. I, I think this team could continue to beat up on the league throughout this season. I don't think it's going to be undefeated runs start to finish, but I think they're going to still be at or near the top of the supporter shield standings when the season ends and, that just means there's an even greater likelihood that maybe we get to host another MLS cup, which would be pretty sweet. And they do have Brad Smith to uh, cover for when the, uh, the strikers maybe go cold. So you know, there is that. Um, I, I think the only thing that's worrying me um, and one of the, one of them was answered, I think pretty well um, Steph, in Stephen Cleveland's, uh, you know, you know, solid performance. And as Tim rightly notes, the defense is so good that they're not, he's not going to be called upon to make a bunch of crazy saves most likely uh, throughout the course of his time while Pry is out. So that was certainly something that I had some worries about uh, coming into the LAFC game and, and while Fry is out, but uh, I think, you know, he, he's good enough to do the job until Fry returns. Um, and so with that in mind, you know, really the only other concern for me is obviously injuries and that's, concern for all I'm sure all of us that, that is something that can be real um a promising season it happened in uh 2015 um when they got off to that flying start and then they lost Oba um and you know Dempsey got suspended that's kind of a different issue but you know we all remember that summer uh when they couldn't score for, uh, to save their lives and lost a bunch of one nil games um and they had to go out and sign a bunch of players uh, because of, they were in danger of missing the playoffs so those are the kind of things, but, you know, that's obviously kind of a worst case scenario. Uh, they seem to be pretty well positioned to deal with, you know, those things because they've already dealt with them uh, to start the year. So, uh, you know, things are obviously looking, uh, look, look very positive right now and uh, long may it continue. Yeah. If people want to relive 2015, the Sounders were eight, eight wins, three losses and two ties through 13 games. And then all of a sudden the bottom fell out of the season. Uh, they were, you know, trending towards a, a supporter. They were, I think they were leading the supporter shield 
race at the time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I would say that this team has already shown to be a little bit more resilient and a little more uh, deep, and certainly more deep than that than that team was, which was really quite reliant on Oba and Clint doing their magic. But this one hasn't, you know, I think to their credit, they haven't that they, they haven't had Nico for all this time. Speaks well of it. Uh, you know, I was just looking at the schedule again, uh, and coming out of the break, they they visit LA Galaxy, which you know may end up being a, a, a pretty tough one. But then they're at home against RSL. Uh, they're on the road against, um, or the, the home against RSL, home against Vancouver, and the road against Rapids. And that takes them all the way to the Fourth of July. Um, like, there's no reason they can't. They, there's really no reason they can't continue uh, racking up points in this thing. And I mean, this was really the the thing that's crazy is this this first six games was was the toughest part of the first half of their schedule. Uh, I mean, like they were playing four playoff teams from last year. And then the two other teams they were playing were, uh, are in playoff positions this year. So, uh, I think they got to be pretty proud of that. Pretty happy with how things are going and they just need to keep it going a little bit longer. And, and then hopefully, uh, hopefully the, the, uh, reinforcements arrive and we're in good shape, but, um, it's been a fun one so far. Uh, hopefully we keep this up and we don't look back on this at the Ubris that we had back in, uh, what do we got? May 18th. So um, anyway, I think that's probably a good place to call this. Uh, really appreciate everyone hanging out today. Uh, I'm Jeremiah Shan, signing off for Tim Faust, Mickey Turner, and Beth Mantle. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast, and we will catch you next time.